Revelation chapter 11. Now I prayed already, so we'll get right into our message. Uh, have you noticed recently the floods that are like going on in the world, around the world lately? Like uh, maybe more like last month or so, the beginning of this month. Flooding in China, flooding in Europe was going on. Uh, Indonesia even. I was just reading all these flooding that was going on, floods that were going on, even in Germany. And, and they've killed hundreds of people. Well, I came across this article, it's kind of interesting, by a Rabbi Weingarten in Israel. And they say he's a mystic rabbi. And he has, um, he, he, he has this idea, and he connects all this flooding to Genesis, like referring to Noah's flood. And he refers to a 16th century Torah scholar, another rabbi. Who, and, and so this Rabbi Weingarten puts this all together and sees this as the sign of the end with the arrival of the Messiah. And I think that's interesting with what we've been talking about lately, you know, in our study in the book of Revelation. And, and listen to what this rabbi said. I quote him, he says, We are now close to the arrival of the Messiah. We are in, and he puts it this way, in the process of redemption. Just like the Jews, just before they left Egypt, we have seen the wonders of nature. There were massive floods in Europe and China, earthquakes, and all kinds of natural phenomena. And then he went on to say, this is moving us toward the stage of redemption when Israel connects to God. I thought that was super interesting for him to say that, uh, to put it out there and in a certain news uh, site, pick that up and and, but I have to say, I'm not sure that the flooding in the world means that, oh, the Messiah is, now, Messiah is going to come right now, you know, that that's the stage here. But the Bible does say, not maybe not the floods, but the Bible does say a trumpet sound. That's going to really be an indication of the end and the Messiah coming right around the corner. Well, as we continue our study here in the book of Revelation, the seventh trumpet sounds, and this marks the official start, really, of the end. It marks the coming of Jesus Christ, the second coming. So I titled our message, basically, The Sounding of the Seventh Trumpet. The Sounding of the Seventh Trumpet. Now, we're going to pick it up at verse 14. We left off at verse 13 last time, and we're going to finish this whole chapter finally. You know, we've been three, this will be three messages in this chapter. Uh, last time we did, I did a whole chapter all in one shot. But I liked the detail. I liked how we kind of went in, in depth in, in this chapter. And so we're going to take this last section, the sounding of the seventh trumpet, Revelation eleven fourteen through 19. Now there's three main things we are going to see and our passage is broken up into these three parts. And this is our outline. Number one, the significant announcement. Number two, the stirring worship, and number three, the sighting of the ark. We're going to see a little glimpse of the ark here. So let's begin here with verse 14 and 15. We're going to cover that. Number one, the significant announcement, the significant announcement. Now, we're going to begin with verse 14, though. Verse 14. Let's take a look here. It says, the second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. We'll stop right there. Now, I'm, perhaps in your Bibles, uh, uh, depending on how they're uh, 
a paragraph, I would say. This verse 14 was actually connected to the last chapter, but I felt like I'm going to connect it to this next section because I wanted to focus in on this voice, what this voice is saying, basically. And we begin with the Apostle John writing now what he heard. And I believe most likely this was an angel. It could have been that, that eagle that we saw a couple chapters back that was saying a similar thing, but perhaps it's an angel and and uh, John's getting this play-by-play of what's going on, right? Remember in the last two weeks, we, we saw the rebuilt temple in chapter 11. We saw the two witnesses going on in the first half of the tribulation. And then now this voice comes, this, this announcement comes, and it's saying the second woe is passed, and the third woe basically is just about to come upon the world. Now with this announcement, we, we, we really come back to where we had left off from this pause. Remember the sixth trumpet had sounded and we entered this pause mode and some things happened in chapter 10 and then chapter 11 we got to know the third temple and the two witnesses and remember back in chapter 10 we were introduced to that bittersweet reality was the title of our message when John ate the scroll and it was it was it was good to sweet to his mouth, but it was bitter to his st- stomach. Right when he ate it, and it talked about how God's final judgment is about to happen. That's the bitter part. But the sweet part is Jesus is going to return. And we covered that back in chapter ten. Then we got to know the temple, the two witnesses, and now with this announcement, the reader is brought back to where we left off in the seven trumpet. Judgment. We did six already. We were in a little pause. So now we're returning to the seventh trumpet. And before that announcement, basically saying two woes have passed. And now one more to go. One more woe to go. Remember the word woe speaks of sorrow in the, the condemning judgment. And it's speaking about what's coming. The first two woes, they were uh, a lot of sorrow going on in that condemning judgment. And the judgment is still going to fall in this third woe. The first woe, do you remember what that was? The first woe? The first woe was in Revelation chapter 9, 1 through 12. When the sounding of the fifth trumpet came out and those locust demons came out, and they came out into the world to torment the world. And I titled that message, A Taste of Hell. To give them a, a taste of what is, what is hell like, really. And then the second woe was back in Revelation chapter 9, verse 13 through 21. When at the sounding of the sixth trumpet, 200 million deadly demons came out. If you remember, that was our title. And they went around the world and they killed many, if you remember. And so what's left? The third woe, the third woe now is about to be unleashed out of the seventh trumpet. And when the trumpet blows and out of the seventh trumpet comes the seven bowl judgments. You remember that in our studies that we had seven seals, seven trumpets, and now seven bowls. Out of the seventh seal came out the seven trumpets. And in a similar fashion, in this, from the seventh trumpet will come out the seven bowl judgments. Now, we're not going to really get into that till like 
chapter 15, really more in detail in chapter 16 of Revelation. And between uh, now and then, God has a lot more to tell us about things that are going on during the tribulation year. So I'm excited about that too. But, but, but we're right here now, right? We're brought back, the readers brought back to the trumpet judgments right here in what is about to happen. So the significant announcement, really what we see is this. The third woe is now to come upon the earth, which means the final judgment is here. It's kind of like what we saw in, in chapter 10. But the third woe is now to come upon the earth, which means the final judgment is here. Now, as far as timing goes, um, most believe we are right around the midpoint of the tribulation years, of the seven-year tribulation. We're three and a half years in, and that's why I believe uh, the two witnesses were part of the first three and a half years. And, and, you, and you remember it, 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 it ended with the abomination of desolation. When the Antichrist stands in the temple, the third temple that was rebuilt, declares himself to be God and requires the whole world to worship him. And we're going to see later he's going to put out that mark. Right, And some of us have that in our mind today with, with a lot of things that are, are coming out in the, in the government. But, but that's not the mark. Well, I mentioned this before, the vaccine is not the mark because the Antichrist isn't here. It's going to happen later once he stands in that temple, declares himself God. And right now there's no temple either. So anyway, so the three and a half years, many believe this third woe is coming upon this second half of the tribulation Years Now, also take note before I go on. This is not the last trumpet mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15.52, as some say. I have I, spoke of this before, but I just want to put this in your mind if we're at this uh, midpoint of the tribulation. Remember, back in 1 Corinthians 15.52, at the last trumpet, I believe Paul was talking about the rapture, and he is referring to the last trumpet call for the last tribe of Israel in the wilderness when they were there to come to join the other tribes as they went on their journey. So I, I keep that in mind, that the trumpet in 1 Corinthians 15 is a call to bring the rapture, whereas the trumpet in Revelation 11 is a call to bring judgment. So that's what we see. The third woe, right, is now to come upon the earth, which means the final judgment is here. And besides that, we know that in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, it says, For God is not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so the church isn't there. We're, we're, we're not here. The raptures already happened. But this is the final judgment coming upon the world. Okay, with that, let's go to verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So we see with this announcement, it, it, it seems like uh, with the, well, two woes is passed, third woe is coming. It seems like with that significant announcement comes another significant uh, announcement. And it, to me, it seems like God nod, nods his head. And the seventh angel, remember there's seven angel with seven trumpets. And each of the angels have already blown the six trumpets. Now we come to the seventh angel, the last angel. He blows his trumpet just as the other six angels did with their horns. So here it is, finally, 
the sounding of the seventh trumpet. We're in that pause from chapter 10 and 11 to this point. And then with that blowing of the trumpet, John heard loud voices, it says here in verse 15. Loud voices in heaven. Now, what is that? Some say, well, maybe it's a church, maybe it's God, maybe, but there's voices. I, I tend to feel like it's most like it's angels all around God's throne. And at this significant moment and this significant time comes this significant announcement and they all declare together. That's why loud voices all around God's throne. And they basically declare the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. In other words, the kingdom of the world is now being transferred. Now it's being transferred from Satan running the world to be the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the moment. This is the time. It's come with the blowing of the seven trumpet. This is, this is that last stage. This is the process of transferring now. It's, it's coming. It's come to this time. Notice here in verse 15, it says, The kingdom of the world has become. Has become. Now, let me tell you, Greek scholars call this proleptic errorist. Um, I don't even, I can hardly say it, but proleptic errorist. You know what it means? It means that this phrase is something in the future that is so sure it's spoken as if it's already happened, as if it's done already. Because notice it, it says here, has become, but it hasn't happened yet, right? Um, we're right in that stage now where it's going to happen, but they speak of it as it's done already, as it is a done deal, that not just it will happen, but it's, it's done. It's, it's going to be. This is it. We are here. And so interesting, it's put out in that way, which really says for sure this, is, this will happen. There's no question about it. And then this rule of Christ, this transfer of power, into Christ's sovereignty. How long will it last? Well, don't you love it? It says, and he shall reign forever and ever. How long is it going to last? Forever and ever. And I like that thought. I like that thought because it's not like in our country, you know, a president has a four-year term and he gets reelected and he has another four-year term and if he can't go on after that. Right. I was thinking about how President Putin of Russia, he um, he already served his term, but then they changed the law so he can serve another two terms. He, he went back to zero like he didn't serve any term. And it looks like he's going to be in power till 2036, they say. I don't think that was the first time that happened, too, with him. But that's not like Satan here. Satan isn't like, oh, I'm going to continue my term and do another term. No, it's going to end, and that's going to be it. And our Lord and King Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. So the voices declare the moment has come for the last stage of Jesus taking, of taking the rule of the earth. This, this is it. This is the last stage. This is, this is like the, the way power is transferred. A.B. Thomas wrote, This world empire once dominated by a usurping power has now passed into the hands of its true 
owner. I love that. It's true owner. God created it, right? It, it, it really belongs to him. And that taking of the scroll, right, back in chapter 4, or, you know, early on Revelation, that was the title deed of the earth. And here it is. It's coming all to pass. So you see, this is the significant announcement here that we're looking at in chapter 11. I think it's exciting. I, I, I think it's great what we're looking at. And so we see the significant announcement. The sounding, listen, of the seventh trumpet is the official start of the transfer of power over the earth. That's the point I want you to get. The sounding of the seventh trumpet, it, it marks this time now, the official start of the transfer of power over the earth. Here it is. We're coming to the end. Here it is. This, this is it. This is like the, the last quarter, you guys. I mean, think about football games, right? And when you hear the horn blow, and it's this last quarter, right, uh, of the championship game, and the horn blows, you know this is it. This is it for your team to make that big win, to keep that lead or, or catch up and, and make that play so they just make it to make that big win. It's within reach, right? For that championship game, it's right there, that last fourth quarter. And a horn blows, there it is. There's excitement. There's anticipation. There's like, oh, yeah, let's go. You're, you're, you're like standing at every play when it's a close game. Well, think about that's what it is. The sounding of the seventh trumpet horn is, is like we're entering into that last fourth quarter. But we know, we know Jesus is going to win, right? He's going to be the winner here. There's, there's no doubt about it. So there's even more excitement going on here. Being this, as the trumpet blows, the seventh trumpet, the official start of the transfer of power over the earth. I want you to remember this passage. I want to stop and put into your minds, take note in your minds of what we're reading, what we're seeing here in verse 14 and 15. I want you to put a note in your mind, because you know what? We're going to be there in this significant announcement. We're, 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 we're going to hear two woes have passed, one more woe to come, the third woe. We're, we're going to hear that trumpet blow when this last stage finally comes. You will be there. We will be there. And we'll hear that trumpet. We'll hear this significant announcement. And I'm excited about that. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm tired of, of, of Satan yeah? making trouble in my life, attacking me, you know, trying to bring me down, take me out of running the race. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of that. I'm weary of that. Aren't you? I'm tired of this flesh. I want to get rid of my, my fleshly body and be in heaven with the Lord. Yeah? Not just that I'm getting old and things are falling apart. No. But I'm tired of that sinful flesh. And I'm tired of, of evil rampant around the world. I'm tired. But I find comfort here. Yeah? That it's not going to go on forever. And one day soon, I believe, the power of evil will end forever. And Jesus Christ will come and rule on this earth. And he'll take the authority and power over this earth and reign forever. In that famous hymn, or the famous piece, Handel's Messiah, there's, a, there's one piece in there, right? The Hallelujah Chorus. 
Right? That's what I think of here. And really, it, it, it was inspired by the passage we're looking at here. And, and you remember the, the words that say, Hallelujah, for the Lord God um, omnipotent reigneth. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And you know the line, right? And he shall reign forever and ever. Yeah. King of kings forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. 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 Right? Yay. I'm looking forward to that day when Jesus, my Jesus, my Lord is reigning. And no more this stuff. Yeah. No more to Satan. Oh, I cannot wait. This is it. This is, this is that. why it's so significant, this announcement. This is the stage. This is the start right here. So the sounding of the seventh trumpet, we see the significant announcement. Let's go to number two. Second thing we see here is the stirring worship. The stirring worship. Now, we're going to be covering verse 16 through 18, and that's actually... Uh, look and read over these three verses. Verse 16 says, And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and began, begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. We'll stop right there. Now, with this significant announcement, in hearing that the 24 elders who are around the throne of God, where this is the scene in heaven, they fell on their faces once again, as we've seen many times, and worshiped. God. Now, these 24 elders, we, we went over that back in Revelation chapter 4, and we learned that these elders represent the church, the church already in heaven, we saw in chapter 4 of Revelation, after the rapture. So you can say we find here the church, 24 elders, all the believers in the Lord, they fall down in worship of God as we've come to the significant moment in history, as we've come Hearing the significant announcement, we're out here at the fourth quarter, the end is right there. Jesus is going to come, the end of evil, all of that. And so they thank God, they're stirred, right? They're, they're moved at this moment that the, all of history has come to this point. And so we come to the stirring worship, and they thank God. Now, there's four things I want you to see in this worship, in their words. And, 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 and they come to this stirring worship, acknowledging, first of all, God is the powerful Lord Almighty. So number one, we see this. God is the powerful Lord Almighty. That's, that's how they worship. That's how they exalt him. You can see here in verse 17, they're saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty. Mighty. Almighty means possessing all strength and power. That's God. God is omnipotent. That's what that word means. Omnipotent. He is all powerful. So for history to come to this moment, to, for, for all this to happen, for the end of evil, for Jesus to come and take over government ruling on the earth, God is definitely all 
powerful, omnipotent, uh, omnipotent. There's no one more powerful than God. He is the Almighty One. You know, I think about Psalm 8, verse 3 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. The work of his fingers, yeah. Not, not his arm, but his fingers, yeah. That's strong. That's powerful. Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? That's always a promise for me. I love to hold on. No, God, nothing is too hard. Not my problems. Not the things that I face. Not the impossibilities that are before me. No, nothing's too... Why? Because He is the Lord God Almighty. And then I want you to look at this with your own eyes. Turn to Matthew chapter 19. Turn to the left to the first gospel, the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 19, and look at verse 26. Matthew 19, verse 26. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Maybe this is a word for you today. Maybe you've been struggling something. Maybe there's an impossibility right in front of your face, but know that the Lord God, He is almighty. He's powerful, more powerful than anything, and He can do the impossible. All things are possible with Him. Let this be, this scripture, Matthew nineteen twenty six, be a word for you this morning. So with this stirring worship, they acknowledge that God is the powerful Almighty. Number two, they acknowledge God is the eternal one. God is the eternal one. If you go back to Revelation chapter 11, verse 17, it says, Who is and who was. So they acknowledge God here, who is and who was. You know what? I like how the NLT translates this. I think it it kind of brings it more into our language. The NLT says, The one who is and who always was, which speaks of how God has no beginning, no end. He's eternal. That's one of his, his attributes. He is an eternal God. God is the eternal one. You know what's interesting? Back, I don't know if you remember, in Revelation 4, 8, the angels cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then they said, Who is and who was and is, like we're reading here. But then they said this, and is to come. But when we're reading here, there is no is to come. Because why? They're worshiping as if it's already happened. For at this moment, Jesus is now establishing the kingdom of God on the earth. So God is the eternal one who fulfills every one of his eternal plans. Understand this. That, that's what they're worshiping God for. Not just His attribute that God is eternal. He's the eternal one. But He's fulfilling this eternal plan. It's coming to pass right now. You know, I was, uh, I was thinking John the Apostle, he actually reached far back into eternity past than any other writer when he said in John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And then in verse 3 of John 1, he, he brings in the time of creation of this world when he wrote, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. But what we're seeing here in Revelation, John now reaches into eternity future, writing of the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's now, at this moment in Revelation 11, is now coming to pass. So, with the stirring worship, they acknowledge that God is the powerful Almighty. God is the eternal one. And number three, God is the sovereign Lord. God is the sovereign Lord. Verse 17, once again, at the end, it says, For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. So here with the sounding of the seventh trumpet, God has taken your great authority, which means he's taken the authority now. Or great power. He's taken the authority now, and now he's begun to reign. This is, again, past tense in the present sense. The Lord, in his sovereign authority over all things, God is now taking that authority over the earth. This is the transfer of power going on with the seventh trumpet. Isn't it great to know God is sovereign? He is fully in control. He is in authority. God is the sovereign Lord. You know, one of my heroes is Hudson Taylor, a missionary, a pioneer missionary to China uh, back in the late 1800s. And um, one time he found himself with no money for his ministry. But he wrote this. In the greatest difficulties, in the heaviest trials, in the deepest poverty and necessities, God has never failed me. Then he adds, the financial balance for the entire inland China mission yesterday was only 25 cents, basically. And he had a, a lot of missionaries were there and everything. He only had 25 cents. But then he finishes writing with this. Praise the Lord. 25 cents plus all the promises of God. Amen. God in his promise, in his eternal plan, He's not going to let it go because he's the eternal God. He's, he's the sovereign Lord. He's in control of all this. God is all-powerful. He can make all of this come together, and he can do that in your life too. He can provide. He can do the impossible. He can be there as your strength. Know that today that God in his promise to you is for sure, and he will not, will not, let that promise go. He will fulfill it. Listen, church, we should be stir stirred into worship, right? God holds that power. God is eternal, so he will continue to do the same mighty works like he did before. God is sovereign. Nothing will stop his eternal plan for your life. Not at, not at all. So don't fret today, child of God. Don't worry. Hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you. What is your fears right now? Is this economy? Is it climbing prices of things right now? Is it, is it, is it, is it maybe, maybe, um, maybe you have fears of this crazy world we're living in with the government? Yeah. We see, yeah, government control. We see things setting up for the Antichrist. And some people, some Christians, many are, are in total fear of, of, of all that going on. Maybe, maybe it's, it's the corruption and you can't trust even what 
the CDC says or, or, or the WHO or, or whatever. I mean, sometimes I think, whoa, what, what are you guys saying, you know, kind of thing. We do our best to navigate through these times and to try and understand things, to do our research, to listen to uh, different people and kind of come to conclusions. But it can be scary, right? When inf- all this information is out there, it could be like, oh, what, what would I believe? Social media is saying this. Pastors and Christians are saying this. The government saying this. Doctors who aren't Christians are saying this. Doctors who are Christians are saying I mean, it, it can be so confusing and it can bring so much fear. Even right now, right, with the virus, the deviant going on. But know this, child of God. Your God holds all power. And He is the eternal one. And He will continue to do His will. Nothing's going to stop Him in His sovereign plan that He has for you in your life. So remember that. Remember that. All right, with the stirring worship, they acknowledge that God is the powerful and mighty. God is the eternal one. God is the sovereign Lord. And number four, the last thing we see, is God is righteous in his justice. God is righteous in his justice. Now we see this in verse 13 where it says, The nations raged. The nation or the unbelieving world, they were filled with wrath. They're angry at God. They're defiant. They're hostile. They even hated God. And, and we're, we're seeing this already in the book of Revelation. They, they're going so far spiritually and deep, so much that they know God's doing this, but they're hating God. And they're coming against God, and, and, and they're actually upset at God, and they're angry at God. And you know what? Armageddon actually is really when the whole world gathers together with their armies and actually try and fight God. Isn't that crazy? But that's how blind you can get in, in your hatred, in your anger, being upset with God, that you're blind to what you're really doing. It doesn't make sense. We're like, well, that's crazy. You know who God is. But in all of that wrath and emotion, when God doesn't do what they want them to do, when God is inflicting this, this, these judgments upon them, what do they do? They don't humble themselves and repent. They just get angry at God. So the nations, they're filled with that wrath. But then he says in verse, uh, the, the, the worship says in verse 18, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged. So we see in the seventh trumpet, it's announcing God's wrath, his judgment, that he will judge the dead. That at the time, and we're going to see this at the end of Revelation, the great white throne yeah, of judgment, that the world will be judged and they will have to face their sin without the atonement, without any atonement or the atonement of Jesus Christ. And so they will face justice. And in and in this justice also, we see in verse 18, God will be rewarding your servants, the prophets and all saints, all believers. God will reward those who fear your name, both small and great. Both, both maybe known or unknown, rich or poor, no matter what, God in his justice, he'll bring judgment to sinners, but he will also bring that justice in rewarding his servants. 
And then in verse 18, it ends with, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. So they worship God in his righteous justice, in God's justness, that justice, that time has now come for destroying those who are destroying the earth. And I, I believe that speaks of, of two things in two, two ways, basically. Those who have abused the planet physically, but those who have also corrupted people spiritually. So God's going to bring that justice. So time has come for the God of justice to make things right. God is righteous in his justice. You know, many years ago, I... Um, I had uh, uh, purchased some software from this auction on eBay a long time ago I, um, when eBay was super, more, super big. And, and um, when we went to register the, this program, it, it wouldn't work. The registration number, you know, that was on the package. Well, I, I, I called the manufacturer and I found out that it was a counterfeit. He goes, we don't have any number like that. It was a total fake kind of knockoff, you know, counterfeit. And I just hate that feeling, yeah? I mean, when, you know, being scammed, I mean, your pride is cut down too, yeah? You're, you're fooled, you've been taken, and, and I just hate that feeling. And plus, you're, you're kind of ashamed about that. What? You know, and, and I just remember that, that feeling and, and the, the emotions just rise. I went through the steps and contacted, um, you're supposed to take certain steps, you know, contact eBay or, or online, they tell you, and went through the steps, and first of all, you're supposed to contact the, the seller, and the guy was in Florida, and you know what, he turned around and accused me of using the program and now wanting to return it, like, like I'm scamming him. Oh, that makes it even worse, right? Those emotions are even worse inside. Well, I'm glad, though, eBay has that buyer protection, and I was able to get my $200 back, you know. I, I always wonder, I wonder what if they got their money back, you know, uh, after all this, if they went after him. Well, it's these times uh, we think of justice. In these times we think, injustice is done to me. God, I want justice. I want justice now. I want it done. And, and the emotions, you know, they're, they're driving us to do something. I know God tells me in Romans twelve nineteen, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I know it says that. Oh, but it's so hard. So hard sometimes, right? Your emotions, the flesh, the wrong that touches a part of you, like, What? You're ashamed, but your pride is hurt. What's God? I'm not going to let anyone do that to me kind of thing. But you know what? I must remember what we're reading here. God is a God of justice. Yeah. He's going to bring justice. Whether now, whether within the, this time that, that you know, all this is happening, or later, He will bring justice to all the wrongs that have been done to me to you, to believers in this world. He will bring the justice. We got to remember that. We got to be reminded that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'll, I'll take care of it. That's not your job. You know what our job is? To forgive, to give grace, 
to have compassion, to have compassion. For, for if those who did this wrong, if they do not repent, you know what? They're going to have to face my father as a child of God, right? And that's going to be worse than anything I could ever do. We know in the end that every knee and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's not just talking about us believers. We're going to definitely be saying that. But that's the whole world. When they see that Jesus Christ, the one who we've been talking about, sharing about, witnessing about, the one who they reject and says, no, he's not real. God is not real. The one who says, I don't care about him. They're going to actually see him one day and be humbled and find out that their sins are not covered. That, that everything will be naked before the Lord and everything they did wrong and they're going to talk about guilt. That's going to be a crazy time for those who don't have Jesus Christ. So, you know, I, I've been trying to do is my focus should not be on the soreness of my heart, but on the sinful heart of those who will perish without Jesus. And that's what I need to do. Maybe that's why this even came about. I mean, just, it happened, it's bad, it's wrong. But perhaps God wants to use that in your life so you could pray for their soul. For you know for sure what their future is going to be. That's what we're seeing here right now. Oh, I was praying the other day, I was saying, God, I don't want to fail you and take things into my hands. I want to let you be the avenger. That's not my job. So we see, with the sounding of the seventh trumpet, the significant announcement, the stirring worship, and now we come to the last part here in the last verse of this chapter, number three, the sighting of the ark. The sighting of the ark. Verse 19 Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. All right, with the sounding of the seventh trumpet, John now looks and he sees in God's temple in heaven, it was open. It was wide open here. And there he sees the ark of his covenant. It was seen there within his temple. So there is the Ark of the Covenant. Now, remember in the first temple on the earth, the Ark represented God's holy presence. The, the Ark, right, that they made, in, and also oh, they had in the tabernacle, it held the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded. But when it was placed inside the tabernacle or the first temple, it really represented God's holy presence. And we know how once a year only one priest would go in and atone for the sins of the people by sprinkling the blood on the top of the ark, which was they called the mercy seat. So the nation would be forgiven of their sins. And, and, but but it, it was a holy thing where only one priest, once a year only, could enter into God's holy presence there. But when Jesus died on the cross, we know access was now made to God's presence and it was all opened up to everyone so so that's that's an indicator here that th- this is this is what we see here the siding of the ark it reminds us of the access to god in jesus christ you see 
You remember back in Matthew chapter 27, 51, when Jesus died on the cross? What happened in the temple? This, this significant thing happened. Do you remember what happened? The curtain, right? Tore from top to bottom. Matthew 27, 51. It just ripped and ripped open. The, 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 the room where the ark, the, back then there was an ark, but the room separating that room to the outer room of the temple, one of the, the main room in the temple, it was separated by this curtain. Only one priest, once a year, that was ritually cleansed could go in there um, because you didn't have access like that. Only the priest could do that. But when Jesus died on the cross, this amazing thing happened. All of a sudden, the curtain went and ripped. Probably sounded better than that. <laughs> right? This amazing thing happened. Can you imagine at that time, the priests who were ministering in the temple, they could see right through into the inside of the temple. They could see where, where only one appointed priest once a year could, could go in and all of a sudden it's open to all of them. If the temple doors are open, if the people are outside, maybe they could go and they could see inside and see that. By the way, the ark was lost after the destruction of the first temple. Um, when the Babylonians came and, and, and took Israel captive and all back in the Old Testament, the ark was lost after that. So in Jesus' day, remember in Herod's temple they had, um, there was just a slab of stone, they believed, where the ark once sat, and that's what they would go in and still do the rituals. But that, the curtain split, and you can see that slab of stone. To this day, no one knows where the ark is. Some say it's buried under the Temple Mount. Some Jews say that, claim that. Some claim it's hidden in this church in Ethiopia, and they've been keeping it safe for the right time to bring it. Some say it's um, buried in Ireland. I was reading it, and that's how uh, the end of the rainbow where the ark is hidden, and you can get a pot of gold. I'm serious. I was, I was reading that, yeah. There's all kinds of uh, uh, thoughts about that. I don't know, I, I kind of think it's in a government warehouse somewhere. What the movie told us, right? Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? That's where, no. I know where it is. You know where it is? It's in heaven. <laughs> it's in heaven, you guys. And so this sighting reminds us of the direct access the child of God has through Jesus Christ. No need to go through the priests. No need to go through some ritual acts, yeah, uh, um, motions and all. No need. Some people call me and say, oh, Pastor Rick, can, 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 can you pray and tell God this? I go, well, tell him yourself, <laughs> you know, right? You're a Christian, you know Jesus. No need. The, the curtain is torn. The, the way is made. It's wide open for for us believers in Christ to go to God directly. And so we see this scene in heaven. It's wide open. Access is still there. And then at the end of verse 19, we also see there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earth, an earthquake and heavy hail. Now we've seen this before in Revelation 4 and Revelation 8. And it always came in announcing that Judgment was about to fall. This was like pre-announcing, you know, pre-shaking and lightning and everything. God was about to do something really big. 
I mean, like when he gave the uh, commandments, you know, the God's law, right? It came with the, the uh, Mount Sinai was full of the lightning and thunders and the cloud and everything. And so, so we, we see that God is announcing here this powerful judgment is about to fall. But what does this mean? The sighting of the ark with these, with, with these indicators of judgment coming? Well, the sounding of the seventh trumpet really reveals this. Even in this final judgment, God still keeps the door of salvation open. And that's our last point. Even in this final judgment, God still keeps the door of salvation open. That's our Lord. Even though the world, most of the world, is probably just totally rejecting God at this moment, they're, 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 they're easily, oh yeah, the Antichrist is God, he gives us what we want. They're easily, yeah, acknowledging that, taking the mark, everything. The mark is allegiance to that. Well, fine. Even though they're, they're, they're angry at God, bitter at God, God still keeps the door open. Even though they're rejecting and rebelling against God, God still keeps the door of salvation open. And I hope, yeah, that even at this time, in the last three and a half years, when things are really going to get bad, that there will still be some people who give their life to Jesus Christ. Habakkuk 3.2 says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. And God does. And God will. God will. Will you give your life to Jesus today? Will you come to him? God keeps the door open. Even during this time, wherever you're at, God is reaching out to you right now. If you're connected online, if you're here in this room, you know what? Jesus wants you. Jesus wants to be close to you. I don't know where you're at with the Lord. I don't know what your walk is like. I don't know what's it been like. I don't know what, what fears have been pulling you away from God or, or what worries. Have, uh, or, or maybe you're disappointed or maybe you're bitter at God for something. But you know what? Jesus is still reaching out. Jesus is still calling out. The door is still wide open. He wants to help you. He wants to heal the hurt inside. He wants to be your God. He may not do everything you wish he he would do. But you know what? He has an eternal, perfect plan for your life. And we got to trust him in that. We got to trust him that he loves you and he cares for you. That no matter what, what that situation is that you're in, no matter what life has brought you and you think, this is junk, God, why'd you allow this? Why'd you do this? You got to know that, that no, wait, 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 let, just, just hold on. Come to me. I'll help you with it. I'll help you through it. Maybe you think you've sinned so much that this is it. God doesn't want me back. You think maybe God's done with you. But what we see here, even in this intense, the worst time of the whole world, when probably all the world has rejected God, He still keeps the door open. Give your life to Jesus. I'll close with this. 
There's an old story of a, a Scottish girl who ran away from home, went into the world, got into all kinds of worldly sins, and, and she, she ran away to sin. She ran away from her mother's godly counsel. She ran away from, from, from God. But in the end, the world wasn't good to her. The devil tried to restore her, uh, destroy her, I'm sorry, tried to destroy her. And, and in her deepest despair, she, she went back home. She had nowhere else to go. And she arrived in the middle of, of the night. It was super dark. And to her surprise, she found the door to the house was wide open. Right away, she feared that something bad might have happened to her mother. So she called out in the dark, and her mother came down, appearing without any harm, holding a candle. The daughter was almost scolding her, saying, Mother, I found the door open. Like, that's not safe. The mother, of course, was excited to see her long-lost daughter back and explained, Maggie, it is many a long day since you went away. But always the prayer has been in my heart. Lord, send her home. Lord, send her home. And the mother told the Lord, whether she come by night or day, I want her to see an open door. And so she knows she is welcome. With that, the girl rededicated her life to Jesus and fell into her mother's arms. Someone then wrote this poem. There is a gate that stands ajar, and through its portals gleaming, a radiance from the cross afar, the Savior's love revealing, O depth of mercy, can it be that gate was left ajar for me? For me? For me? Was left ajar for me? Yes. For you. For me. For us. I think this is amazing, our passage today. Though the seventh trumpet signals the ending judgment when justice is finally going to be served, at the same time, God keeps the door open so that by grace, through faith, we may be saved. Amazing, isn't it? What we find here, God's heart, even in this, the sounding of the seventh trumpet. Let's pray. Lord God, we are humbled by your love. We have sinned. We have done so much wrong, God. Our attitudes, the things in our heart, God, in our mind, we hate it. But we still go to it. Lord, we take our hurt and run away from you. We take our hurt and run away from those who love us. We're mean to them. We get angry, God, because we're hurt. We don't like those who have hurt us and treated us unjustly, God. And we want justice done. God, we've done so much wrong. Lord, we focus in on the wrong that others have done to us, yet we have done so much wrong to you. God, open our eyes to that right now. And we come humbly to you. We know judgment is coming, God. Let us trust in your justice giving. Right now, it's you and I. And Lord, forgive me. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins, for our attitudes, for giving in to temptation, 
for allowing our emotions to control us and run us and not, not your word, not your spirit. God, we need you and we want you so much. And so, God, I pray over each one of us right now that your spirit would come and comfort us, that as you cleanse us, as we confess, God, that you would renew us and restore us for you're still here with the door wide open. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Oh, God, you're so great. Let our eyes be lifted high to our Lord God sitting on the throne, not on the craziness of this world, the evil around us, not on those who have wronged us, not on the impossibilities and the troubles and the pressures and stresses. But Lord, lift our eyes up to you, our great and awesome God. For truly you are a God who can do all things. All things are possible for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's really worship our God.